Welcome into episode 34 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Landon Beeman coming at you tonight. Um, this, uh, I guess you can say the draft day edition of the Gump Runners podcast. Landon, how, how you been doing, man? Been a while since you've been on the show. Yeah, man, been doing good. Thank y'all for having me on. It's been a it's been a crazy year with obviously football and just got through Alabama basketball season. Now we're on Alabama baseball, and here we are with the NFL draft. Who thought we'd have been here this time last year? Just you know, actually get a live draft to watch. Guys going to green rooms now in Cleveland as opposed to watching virtually all last year. So looking forward to it, Lester. Let's just go ahead and jump into to I guess. You know, on on Gump Twitter, I guess you could call it the uh, the main argument this past week has been whether Matt Jones should go number three to the Niners or not. You know, Kyle Shanahan's come out and said that he likes four or five players at, at that number three spot. And uh, so, what I, what I'm gonna ask is, you know, there there's some people saying that Matt's lack of athleticism is gonna hurt him, or whatever. Um, Personally, I've watched Tom Brady win seven Super Bowls, and he can't outrun my two-year-old daughter. And uh, and so I, I don't I disregard that fact in the NFL. Um, you just got to be able to put the ball in a tight window, and um, it helps to be able to get away from the rush. But just let me I want to ask you, what do you think? How do you assess Mac Jones and his and how well do you think he'll perform in the NFL? And where do you see him going in the draft? I think Mac has all the tools to be a really good in starting NFL quarterback. Really, really good. I don't, I don't know about Hall of Famer. I don't know about elite. But the guy, I have confidence that the guy can go out and win a team game. Personally, me personally, I would like to see him go to the San Francisco 49ers. You know why? Because they are the most built, ready team to win right now. Right now. You know the worst thing for a quarterback is going to the draft, getting drafted to a crappy team. Sam Darnold or whoever, some of these cats that went to the Jaguars, that matters. Like That's really, really important. The organization you're drafted by, the team surrounding them. I mean, we always, we always want to say, well, what if somebody, you know, what if we got drafted to a better team, a better organization, a group that's not notoriously known for screwing up people. So, Based off that fact alone, I won't make it go to San Francisco because I think Shanahan can get it done. He's been to a Super Bowl. Four Niners have been to a Super Bowl recently. And they have the weapons with Kittle and those receivers and a pretty dang good defense. All Matt has to do is come in and honestly just manage the game. And that guy can still make plays. He's going to be surrounded with playmakers. But manage the game. Don't do anything crazy. Just do what you're asked. So I want him to go to a great organization. That's what I want first and foremost. Yeah, Jimmy G was a quarter away from beating Mahomes in, in the Super Bowl just two years ago. And so I, I like Matt going to the 49ers as well. Like you said, that's that's the best fit for him because, I mean, he's a lot like Jimmy G. He's not going to wow you with his play. But I think he can make the throws that are needed in the end that you had – that are needed in an NFL offense. Um, you know, he's not going to run around and make crazy plays, but Landon, real, a lot of people expect Trevor Lawrence to go one, Zach Wilson to go two, to uh, Jacksonville and New York. So at this three spot, a lot of people think if San Fran takes a quarterback, it's going to be 
Matt Jones or Trey Lance. Um, there's some stuff that, that have, that's come out about Justin Fields, maybe like an epilepsy thing or something. I don't know. That's, you know, his draft stock has, has fallen here over the last week or so. So a lot of people are projecting him mid first round now. So, so Landon, tell me when you compare Matt Jones and Trey Lance, tell me what, what Matt can give you, but like just say, say as, as a 49ers GM, you've got that number three pick, you know, assess Matt Jones and taking him and, and the positives he would bring to your team and then do the same for Trey Lance. What, what does he bring that Matt Jones can? Well, I think the biggest thing that people got to look at with Trey Lance is there's a lot of unknown with Trey Lance. You know, he didn't even play football last year. He played 19 games in his career. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Division Two football. Like, to me, I, I'm so, I think I'm so gun shy over Carson Wentz because he started out so promising. Where the hell's that guy now? I mean, you, you if you lose your job to Jalen Hurts, sorry, but Jalen Hurts is not an NFL quarterback. I mean, yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent agreed. Uh, you know, and the thing about it, people don't understand. North Dakota State in the division they play for football. They are like Alabama is in Division One football. I mean, North Dakota State is that much higher of a tier than everyone else in the division they play in, and that's why they win championships every damn year. I mean, it's just – I mean, it, that's there, – there's such a talent gap. So, that's one of the things. But also, you got to look at another, another respect is there's a lot of unknown with Trey Lance. There's a lot of – there's a lot of – he could – he has the potential to be the best out of them all because – he, you don't you don't know a lot about him, whereas these other guys, you kind of know what you're getting. And all you can go off Trey Lance is, well, he hasn't thrown – I mean, I don't think Trey Lance has thrown an interception in – I don't even know how long. Like, it's some wild stat about how he hasn't even thrown an interception. And the thing is, though, he's got to look at – he's only played a certain amount of games. He didn't play last year. And that's a lot to gamble on for the number three overall pick because all you're doing is you're looking at measurables. That's all That's all you're doing. I think that's such a – that's one of the things that frustrates me the most about the NFL draft every year is you look at all these guys that they want to look at the measurables. They want to judge someone based off what they weigh, what they run a 40 in, what they – what how tall they are or how mobile they are in a pocket. But they never just sit back and say, well, hey, what about the football player? What about the tape? What about the football player you're looking at? Forget forget the the six pack abs and how how big the biceps are and all that stuff. What about the football player? And that's what I love about Mac Jones is Mac Jones Mac Jones doesn't walk out there with a six pack abs and have a four four forty and you know Mr. Lamar Jackson. He's not. That's not Mac Jones. Mac Jones is is going to manage how he's already proven he can manage high level players in a pro style offense under Sarkeesian against quality competition. He's a, he's, a, you've already seen him adapt on the field to the loss of an elite talent with Jalen Waddle. I, I saw no drop off in Mac Jones when Jalen Waddle went out for eight games this season. I watched him in the national championship when Jalen Waddle was on a hurt, hurt uh, foot and Devontae Smith's out with a broke finger, throw a touchdown pass to, little three-star Slade Bolden. You know, he shows toughness, he's got leadership, humility, accountability, all that. And I think Kyle Shanahan's the type of guy that can sit there and say, hey, I can win with this guy. I can win with this guy in my offense. Just this past year, Kyle Shanahan with Nick Mullins in his first eight starts averaged 285 yards passing uh, per game. That was only behind Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck, and Cam Newton. Kyle Shanahan did that with Nick Mullins. 
So obviously this guy sees he, – he's like, oh, hell, I can definitely do this with a Mac Jones type guy. And I, that's why I think Kyle – I mean, Mac Jones is perfect for Kyle Shanahan's system. I mean, absolutely perfect. I think that uh, whenever you draft the, the more athletic quarterback or whatever, you know, I think if you have a weaker offensive line, that would be the better pick, honestly. Um, with as raw as Trey Lance is – he might be more of a 50-50 pass-run type of guy. Max definitely like a 95-5 to uh, pass-to-run type of guy. But thing is, you look at San Francisco and their roster, and like everybody's talking about, they have, a, they have a top 10 offensive line in the league last year. So you don't need a guy to, to run around back there and make plays, throwing off his back foot on the money 45 yards downfield. You don't need that. You need somebody that can that can read a coverage, that can learn a system quick. You need a smart a smart guy, and um and you need a a, a guy that's going to step in and lead. And so yeah, Matt Jones is light years ahead of Trey Lance when it comes to if they had to start playing tomorrow in the NFL. And I don't know if they're going to move Jimmy G or not. I really don't know what their plan is. But Landon, you, you talked about all the adversity that Mac has has overcome, and I think the biggest one for me is. That game two years ago, whenever there was full capacity, you know, pre-COVID, I know a lot of people don't remember that time, but he went into Jordan-Hare um, after the Western Carolina game, after Tua went down in 2019 with a playoff spot on the line for Alabama. Because if they win that game, I think they sneak in over Oklahoma um, for the four spot and get another shot at LSU, even though they weren't going to the SEC championship game. But this guy throws two pick sixes and just – it never phased him. He just – both times after the pick sixes, he just comes right back down the field and scores a touchdown. I mean, he threw for 400 yards. He made hella plays. He let his receivers make plays. He hung in there. He took some shots. He threw the ball on a dime, on target, on time. And it's just that game to me really showed you what you had in Matt Johnson. Of course, that just carry over, carried over into the 2020 season. But, um, you know, the, the Falcons are sitting there at four. Um, Landon, you're a Cowboys fan. Uh, Lester, you know, you're an Atlanta guy. Are, are you a big-time Falcons fan, or are you kind of like, eh, NFL, I just kind of watch it for the fantasy sports? I'm a Falcons fan by proxy, just because they're the, kind of the South team, I guess. So okay. I'm a die-easy Falcons fan, I guess. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, they're sitting there at four. Their defense is ass. Uh, they're, they're ass cheeks. And um, and so, you know, a lot, a lot of people say that they need defensive help, but I don't think there's anybody in this draft – the, the the draft is too offensive loaded. There's too many offensive studs coming out for Atlanta to take a defensive guy at number four. I don't think Micah Parsons or a corner is worth a top five pick in this year's draft. I think you have very good ones, and you can see probably two corners taken in the top 15, but I think four is a little bit too high. Lester, break down these receivers plus Kyle Pitts. We're going to throw Kyle Pitts in there as well because he's really shot up um, the the draft boards this past week. A lot of people like him at number four to Atlanta. But you've got Jamar Chase, you got Jalen Waddle, you got Devonta Smith. You have all kinds of studs coming out um, at the receiver position. Tell me if 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 you're well. Just let me ask you if Atlanta if the first three picks are quarterbacks and Atlanta has that number four pick and they decide to go with a receiver slash Kyle Pitts. Which one do you like out of those four? Give me Kyle Pitts. With the evolution of the tight end in the modern NFL, 
you got to take a flyer on this guy. You've got to. Big guy runs a four, 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 five. His height, his speed, you've got to take that guy and insert him into your offense. Look, you already have Julio for now. They may trade him because they're in cap hell. You got Ridley, you got Russell Gage, you got a couple of guys who can make some play, plays for you. Put Kyle Pitts in the middle of that offense and let him do his thing. Are you, you can't him? cover. Are you trading? Who no, is? absolutely not. Yeah, well, they, hey, they're saying they the, were. So, were they saying they're they're? Shocked? I mean, I don't, I don't care because the Falcons knew what they were doing when they gave him that contract, and he absolutely deserves every penny of it. But you know, put put Kyle Pitts in the middle of Ridley, put him in the middle of Julio, and 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 let's go to town, man. I I don't. You you've got to put the guy in. He's going to be a day one starter for your team. I don't know how you can watch Gronk play, Kittle, Travis Kelsey, all these guys come in and just complete studs, playmakers from the tight end position, and not have the chance to put that guy on your team. That's unique. You don't you don't you don't get great tight ends. You can find wide receivers. You can make, you can rattle off. 10 wide receivers easily, but you can't name 10 stud tight ends. You can't because there, there aren't end, many. Though. Huh? Is this guy a tight end? Are they really are they really interested in teaching him how to block? Or is he just gonna become a full-on Calvin Johnson receiver? Just using that. Either big, or I've, 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 we've seen block. Gronk line up outside. Yeah, I, but thing is, Gronk is also like 280 pounds. I mean, Kyle Pitts That's true. didn't have That's he true. didn't have the physicality of George Kittle or um, even you know Kelsey or Gronk. And I know those are the top three tight ends in the NFL, but still, you know, I, I think this guy ends up being a straight receiver. I don't see him playing tight end at all. I mean, unless they're going to try to bulk him up and try to get him to block, which they may, I look at him just being a straight receiver. I mean, what's the most blocking he's going to do? What down block on the end? I mean. I guess, but I just think more so than the if he sucks at blocking, he's going to dominate being matched up on a linebacker or a safety. I'll put it that way, and I'll make that trade off every time. Yeah, um, I uh, I, I don't think the Falcons can go wrong whether they take Chase or Pitts, Devonta or Jalen. I don't think they can go wrong there. I, I think those guys are so, you know are so similar as far as what they can bring to an organization. But Landon, another tricky spot. I think I think one, two, and three are pretty clear that they're going quarterbacks, right? So you got you got Atlanta looking to take a skill guy. If you're number five though, and you're Cincinnati, your quarterback just got just went through a year of getting his ass drug all over the field. He just had knee surgery. He's back. If you've got Jamar Chase available at five and you're Cincinnati, but you've also got Panay Sewell, who's a overall top or the top overall, uh, not overall, the top offensive line prospect in the draft. This is a tough decision because you've got Burrow, the, the success he had with, with Jamar Chase at LSU was great, but, and, and, you know, Cincinnati's already got some promising young receivers over there. So, Chase could slot in and they could be very dynamic on the outside, or do you get Joe Burrow some help? Which way do you go if you're sitting at five with Cincinnati when you've got Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell both on the board? Uh, I would, I would go, I would go line, man. I, I'm, I'm going with Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater. 
with uh, with the Bengals. I mean, man, I mean, what happened to Burrow last year? I mean, you know, that's your quarterback. You got to protect him. You got you got that's number one overall pick right there, bro. Go with the line. I mean, you know, the Bengals aren't the Dolphins over here with like scraps right here for receivers. I mean, you still got Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. You got Joe Mixon at running back. I mean, you're not sitting over here lacking at skill positions like, you know, someone like the Dolphins, for example, or the Lions. I mean, you got some guys, you know, and you got – you mean, man, you got to beef up that line. I mean, second highest pay position in football is left tackle. I mean, come on, man. Go go get you go get you somebody. Go get you a Panay Sewell. Go get you a Rashawn Slater. I mean, man, those guys are guys that last a while. I mean, and, you know, you're sitting at five. I mean, yeah, receiver's great. Don't misunderstand me. It's all, I mean, it's a flashy pick, and it's awesome. But your quarterback is literally coming off an ACL tear, and, and God knows what else he tore in there. They, I don't even know if y'all saw. Y'all see the picture that uh, the Bengals posted of Joe Burrow sitting on, like, a throne, and he's sitting there with his knee showing, and it's, you just see the scar. I mean, like, if that doesn't tell you that they're drafting a tackle, I mean, nothing does, in my opinion. But yeah, no, I I definitely lean to, uh, lean offensive line if I'm a Bengals, no question. No, I don't think you said anything false in that whole that whole spiel there. I uh, I agree 100 percent with everything. You've got to get some protection for your guy. They've got enough um, at the skill position um, in order to not not get by, but I mean, you know, you got you got to get some offensive line help, and that might be their their draft position in the first round for the next two or three years, uh, depending on what they can do in free agency. But um, let's just go back to you. Number six, Miami. Um, the Dolphins are sitting there at number six. Let's say for the podcast argument's sake that Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle are both available. You got two at quarterback in Miami. He's played with both of them. Which one do you draft if you had that number six pick in Miami? Uh... I, I'd go Smitty if we're talking about uh, wide receivers. But, you know, piggybacking off what Landon said about the Burrow and the offensive line, I think Tua needs some O-line help. Hopefully they'll get it for him later in the draft. But I'd definitely go Smitty. Those two already have a connection. You know, I don't care what people say about his size or whatever. The guy's a baller. The guy's got heart. I mean, he's not the first – Six foot, one hundred sixty pound receiver to come to the league. I guarantee you that. So I, I definitely go Smitty. I think he's going to be a, a boss day one. Landon, uh, you know, piggyback off of what Lester said. Number one, I, I want to know whether you take Devonta or Jalen. You had that pick at number six, and also, you know, Lester made a remark about the offensive line. Yeah, Miami's offensive line was bad. I don't think it was as bad as the Bengals, but I think that they're their crappy skill guys outweigh their crappy offensive line in this case. It's kind of the opposite of the Bengals. Um, they don't have any help on the outside. You got Miles Gaskin, a running back. He's shown he, can, he could catch the ball out of the backfield last year and be a weapon in, in that regard. But other than that, I mean, Tua had, had more drops than any other quarterback in the last four games of the season. So um, tell me – just first tell me – would you draft a, a receiver or an offensive lineman with this pick? And then if you pick receiver, um, are you going with Devonta or Jalen? Uh, with the Dolphins, I mean, like last year, you know, their O-line had problems. But, you know, keep in mind, they spent a first-round pick last year on a 
on a tackle from USC named Austin Jackson, and the guy got hurt and he played like 13 of the games last year. So, I mean, they had they they drafted O line last year. It's just the guy they got, you know, got hurt, obviously. And they are they already had two rookies on there, one from Georgia, another one from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, so I expect them to get better on the O-line regardless if they don't draft an offensive lineman. But in my opinion, based off what I watched the Dolphins last year, I mean, dude, they need skill position help so bad. I mean, they need it desperately. I mean, I was watching Tua having to play one game with his number one target being Jakeem Grant, some 5'9 guy from Texas Tech. And that is not going to cut it in the NFL. Not to mention the guy had Chan Gailey, like the most outdated offensive coordinator in the current in the league. And ironically, he retires. Um, so I'm going with a receiver and I'm I'm for I'm picking Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is a dominant wide receiver to me. I watched the guy this past year literally dominate every corner that people swear up and down are NFL corners like Sean Wade at Ohio State, Derek Stingley, you know, Deion Sanders 2.0, as everybody calls him at LSU, um, Tyson Campbell at Georgia, who people have projected to go late first round, Eric Stokes at Georgia, who people also have projected to go late first, early second round. So, I mean, all these, all these, you know, all these people that knock Devontae Smith's way, y'all just keep that same energy when Derek Stingley next year becomes like a top seven pick in the NFL draft because that guy that's 166 pounds that you swear up and down can't make it in the NFL has taken Derek Stingley the past two years for over 450 to 500 yards total receiving and four or five plus touchdowns. Uh, I have not seen one corner in college football even remotely shut down Devontae Smith at all. Uh, so in my in my thing with Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle is awesome and electric and fun to watch and everything. But my concern with Jalen Waddle is, I worry that he becomes more of a how do I like more of a, more a of special a, yeah, or like more of a returner special type receiver. Whereas Devontae Smith, I mean, dude, he's pure outside receiver. He can play anywhere and he can go get it. Whereas Jalen Waddle, I feel like Jalen Waddle's got to be in that right scheme, like a like with like an Andy Reid type guy, someone that knows how to quality like use him correctly in order to maximize his full potential. I, that would be my only concern with taking Waddle over Devontae Smith, and that I just feel like Devontae Smith would be the more safer pick in my opinion. Yeah, everybody talks about Devontae's size, but I mean Jalen's like five foot nine, <laughs> so. You know, you, you got – and, of course, he has Tyreek Hill type ability. But, uh, once again, I, I don't think you can go wrong. If, if you're going to do a coin flip, I think you win either way. Um, but, yeah, with, with Devonta, to me, I just think back of, of that, you know, that, that Tennessee game when he goes down and, you know, you're smoking your cigar, you're enjoying it after the ass whooping you put on the balls on the road. But then you start thinking, you're like, man, what, what are we going to do now? Like, I mean, Lester, you were at the late. Like, what did we talk about all night? We're like, dude, all right, who's the deep guy now? It's got to be Devonta. Um, can Mechie take over Devonta's spots for the intermediate routes? And then Slade's got to catch the short ones or whatever. Because it seemed like through those first three or four games that Sark really loved Jalen on the deep ball, Devonta to the 15 to 20-yard routes, and then Mechie on the, on the shorter routes. Of course, you know, Mechie did catch the bomb against A&M, but – 
it seemed like that was whenever those kind of plays happened, that's who caught the ball and, and that, you know, in, in those yardages. But when he went down, you were like, okay, guys are going to be doubling Devonta. You can't go to him. So it's really up to Mechie. Like, you know, Mechie has got to, got to beat the man-to-man coverage because they're going to have a safety. Hell, maybe two safeties playing over Devonta because he's so good in every single game. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of credit goes to Sark but because he moved him around so much. But every single game, Devonta Smith just did more and more and more as the season went on. And, you know, I mean, he goes down to LSU and puts his nuts on the back of Derek Stanley's head or helmet and goes up over him and catches a touchdown, you know, catches over 200 yards on him again for the second straight year, like Landon was talking about. And, I mean, this guy has just done it to every defense that he's played, you know, bad defenses, average defenses, and good defenses. You know, everybody saw Ohio State just absolutely could not cover him. You've got two weeks to game plan for that guy, and he still catches for three touchdowns on you in the first half. And if he doesn't get hurt, he might catch five or six because they had no answer for him. They couldn't do anything. And so, you know, and, and you know, Landon was naming off all the corners he just absolutely torched this year. Uh, the two from Georgia, you know, Stingley, whoever else. And and so I, I don't think you can lose in, with with either of those two. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely take Devonta um, like you guys. If I, had, if I had to pick one, I, I'd take Devonta. Landon, your, your Dallas Cowboys are, uh, are sitting at number 10. Um, just tell me just break down what, what you need, what, what the team needs, and, what, and who you would like to see picked with that 10 slot. Well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, everybody watched NFL football last year. I had to watch my Stevie Wonder Dallas Cowboys try to play defense, and uh, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. I think we set a record uh, for the most points given up since, like, the 1960s or 70s. Uh, fortunately, we fired our defensive coordinator, thank God. Uh, hired uh, Dan Quinn uh, as our D.C. Uh, instead of head coach, obviously from the Falcons. Uh, but in my personal opinion, I think Dallas needs secondary help and the best secondary player not being biased in this draft, in my opinion, is Patrick Sertan. He is 100% the best secondary player, in my opinion. Um, if we were not to pick a secondary player, uh, I would love if he was still on the board for Dallas to grab Micah Parsons from Penn State. I don't know how you can really hate drafting a linebacker that runs a 4-3-40. Uh, and, you know, it, I would – so either of those two would be fine. Uh, I, but – Sertan is who I mainly want. I mean, I love Patrick Sertan. I never had to worry about him in Alabama. The only wide receiver I ever really saw take Patrick Sertan to school from quarters one through four was when he was a freshman, and it was CeeDee Lamb in the Orange Bowl. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, in my opinion, got the best of him in that game. But other than that, I never really saw one wide receiver just dominate Patrick Sertan, not at all. I mean, Patrick Sertan, no one threw his way. I mean, he was locked down, and – I think he would be the safe bet for us to take at 10, assuming he's still on the board. Yeah, and so you, you list two defensive players there, and and I actually I honestly think they'll both still be on the board, um, depending on what Carolina and, and Denver do at 8 and 9. I don't, I don't think anybody's really 
or I don't think anybody can really put a finger on what on what they're going to do. So you never know. I mean, they could take, yeah, Denver could take a corner. Um, and, but you know, offensive line help with Dallas. What, what do what do you think about Dallas's offensive line? Maybe getting a little bit older. Um, Panay Sewell will more than likely be off the board, but you've got Rashawn Slater right there from Northwestern. Tell me what you think about him and about this off- offensive line depth in Dallas. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point uh, because the problem – Dallas's offensive line is, is a good offensive line. The problem is they can't stay healthy. We lost all five starters last year by, like, week eight on the O-line. I mean, we were, we were decimated. We were playing two, two free agents at left and right tackle. I mean, it was two undrafted free agents. I mean, it was just – it was awful. Tyron Smith, when healthy, is one of, if not the best left tackle in pro football. But the problem is you only get about four games out of the 16 with him. I mean, that's the only thing. So, if for some reason Dallas were to draft a Panay Sewell or a Rashawn Slater or a Elijah Vera Tucker from USC at that number 10 slot, I'm not going to be, like, upset at that because I'll at least understand it because it makes sense, like you said. I mean, the O-line's getting old. We just had Travis Frederick, our center, retire. Um like I said, Tyron Smith, his whole history is just awful. That man is built like a Mack truck but gets injured more than anyone I know. It's like every year that man is hurt by like week five and you never see him again. It's the craziest thing. So, no, that's a that's a very good point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset at all if we were to go uh, offensive line. Lester, um, Patrick Sertain – you know, Jalen, Devonta, Mac, Najee, Leatherwood, all the guys that came out for the draft that have the potential of going, um, you know, in the first two. Actually, you know what, Landon, let, let me ask you this. I think Lester, Lester actually cut out on us. But um, do you who do you see having the most success immediately? And who do you see having more success as far as a career out of, out of the Alabama players that are, they're supposed to be drafted? Uh, oof. I would honestly, I, I, I'd probably say Mac Jones. I truly, I, I have that much faith in Mac Jones having a, a lot of success uh, in the pro in pros. I think his style of play and how he plays the game is what, succeeds at the pro at the pro level in my opinion and and that's not to say dual threat you know and how like like Lamar Jackson succeed uh I mean they succeed I mean they they I mean it's proven you know I mean Lamar Jackson won an MVP but my thing at the end of the day though with these with these guys is Super Bowls and championships are still won from the pocket I understand you got to have athleticism but Mac Jones' ability to climb the pocket, feel the pressure, have awareness, and get rid of the football, regardless if it's a five-yard dump off, you know, and it's not some let's turn turn three spins and, you know, do a backflip like Johnny Manziel and drop it in a five-gallon bucket. I mean, that's great and all. You can do that. That's awesome. But, man, you still got to put the ball in the money. You still got to make the throws. And that's what I love about Mac Jones, why I think he's going he's gonna to have the most success out of these guys. I think Priest is so big in that too because yeah, you, know, you look at Tom Brady and how vocal he is pre-snap, and you, you saw everybody saw Peyton Manning 
and all the stuff that he did before the snap. Drew Brees did a lot of it as well. It seems like there's so much work done before the play even starts. You know, a lot of quarterbacks can, you know, that, that's where a lot of their success comes from. And I think Matt gets a really good shot at developing into one of those players as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he does he does things that are just like like people think it's like not like not that impressive that oh Mac Jones goes there and he just throws a five yard dump off and you know and all that stuff. But I'm like, man, you don't understand like sometimes what it takes to know that hey, I can have this five yard dump off. Hell, there was there were times when I watched Tua play quarterback at Alabama. I wish he would have taken the five yard dump off because guess what? If he would have taken the five yard dump off, he may not have two ankle injuries. You know, that'd be nice. But, I mean, people also need to realize as well, you know, for the ones that, you know, like to make fun of Mac Jones because he doesn't have, you know, six-pack abs and all that stuff, the guy hasn't peaked athletically. I mean, he's, what, 22 years old? I mean, he's not just going to all of a sudden become 250, 260 pounds, something like that. I mean, the dude's going to, like, he's only going to get better athletically and, and learn more as he goes and everything like that. And you know what? There's going to be games that he doesn't do well. But, 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 you know, breaking news, welcome to NFL football. You're not going to walk out every game and throw for 400 yards. Patrick Mahomes doesn't even do that. They have, they have bad games. It's called NFL football. It happens to every player. So, but I, I think, I think Mac Jones definitely when with him, especially with him more than likely getting drafted by the 49ers based off Vegas odds, that would be my pick to have the most success. We got, we got Lester back on here. So, so Lester, I want to ask you, you know, these arguments about Mac Jones and the talent around him makes him a better prospect than he is. Do you agree with that? Buddy, we can name about, six, seven, eight quarterbacks that have come through Alabama that have had the same talent as the quarterbacks that beat them out That's or the, straight up were better why, players. That's why they're saying this, because Alabama hasn't had any quarterback success in the NFL. Two is still on the hook, but A.J. didn't have any success. G-Mac was ass. Uh, Brody Croyle, whatever. I mean, you know, the saving guys. Jake Coker never made it. Blake Sims. You know, Man, A.J. needs a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. We, we said that for, you know, a decade now, but, um, right. but yeah, but you know, people talking about Mac, do you think that his talent, because they're talking about, you know, best offense ever. Do you think that his talent is going to hurt him at the next level? Do you think the talent around him, including Sarkeesian made him a better prospect than he is? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and say if he had another OC or was on another team, he would be straight garbage. I mean, some stuff I believe that you just have in you. Like, Mac has the arm talent. He has the awareness. He has the patience in the pocket. He has a little bit of mobility when he needs it. I mean, that nothing that doesn't have anything to do with the talent around you or your OC. So, I just I don't know I, I hate that that's been held against him, in in a way, but you know I think that's just Max's chance to prove himself. I'll tell you this, I, I think that a lot of people when they when you use that argument, and I've said this before, but Landon, when, when you compare the 2019 LSU team and the 2020 Alabama team. The biggest argument is 
which offense was better and which offense was the greatest in history. So everybody drools over Joe Burrow last year. Is it because he was faster than Mac Jones? Is that the only difference in the two? Because he had a great play caller and he had Thaddeus Moss, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, who I believe won rookie of the year with the Vikings, um, Terrace Marshall, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. I mean, it was literally identical to Alabama's situation this year with Matt Jones. Joe Burrow completed 58% of his passes his junior year. He had to transfer out of Ohio State. He couldn't cut it. Mac Jones didn't have years like that. Now, granted, he didn't start as many games as Joe Burrow, but when he came in for Tua, he was very good. You know, he had the two crazy pick sixes against Auburn. Other than that, he was nails. So tell me, what do you, do you agree with, with the players around him making him better, or are you in, in the boat as, as in, you know, Joe Burrow, he played with great players as well. Trevor Lawrence went three years playing with great players. Um, you know, he didn't have Justin Ross this year, but Clemson had other four- and five-star receivers. Uh, Justin Fields played at The Ohio State University. They finished number two or three in recruiting every single year. What's his excuse? You know, it's just why, why is the excuse brought up for Matt Jones and not anybody else? And, I, and, and I under, I, the only thing I can think of is that because it, it's been true with Alabama quarterbacks in the past, especially with Tua, um, not stepping in and immediately throwing for a thousand yards a game. I guess people thought that that would happen with that, you know, with those shitty skill players down in Miami. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's still on the clock, but a lot of people have said that in the past and it's come to fruition. So do you, do you agree with that, with that scenario that Matt Jones gets? And, you know, how is, do you agree with it being used against Matt Jones and not anybody else in the draft? No, I don't agree with it at all. I mean, like, I mean, you know, hey, guys, breaking news, football is indeed a team game. I mean, it requires a quarterback to take the snap under center, throw it to point A and point, you know, and go from there, score a touchdown. I mean, that, that's, that's called football. It's a team game. I mean, you know, no one, no one's a one-man show out there. Like you said, Joe Burrow was out there with a Joe Moore offensive line, first-round running back in Clyde Edwards-Alaire, three first-round wide receivers in Chase, Jefferson, and Marshall, Thaddeus Moss at tight end, I mean, and he was just Mr. Jesus Christ out there. Uh, you know, praise Joe Burrow, holy hell. Mac Jones is out there with basically the same thing, except I don't know John Metchie, first-round wide receiver just yet, but, you know, hey, it could potentially happen. But we had – we know two first-round wide receivers and Waddle and Smitty, Joe Moore offensive line, a potential first-round running back in Najee Harris, depending on what teams do. I mean, like I said, basically same scenario, elite play caller in Sarkeesian, just like Joe Brady. And our guy's killed, and he's no good, and anyone can be in that offense and, and put up those numbers. But LSU's last year, no, that's not the case. Joe Burrow's Jesus. I mean, it's, I mean, like you said, Ohio State. I mean, Garrett Wilson, five-star wide receiver. Jackson Smith-Nigba, five-star wide receiver. All these guys that Justin Fields Love is throwing it. to. Yeah. Yeah, Olave. I mean, every one of them, man. The freaking Clemson. We got Travis Etienne at running back. We got all these guys at, at receiver for uh for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, no one says a word about that. Not not a word. 
no big deal. But as Alabama quarterback, oh hell. I mean, it's it's the craziest art, it's the craziest argument to me. And it's just it's so funny. And what's crazy is, you know, like Tua, Tua got the same treatment. He got the same thing. All he does is throw slant routes and he throws a first round, first round wide receivers, therefore he's great. Well, if he's so great, why did Jalen Hurts get benched in the national championship? Because he had those same receivers plus Calvin Ridley. Why couldn't he throw slant routes and just get oodles of touchdowns? Because it's just so damn easy. I mean, I would love to know the answer to that. I mean, why couldn't he? He had Brian Dable as his OC. Brian Dable now is the OC for the Buffalo Bills, and I think the Buffalo Bills are a pretty damn good football team with Josh Allen. I could be wrong, though. I think they are. So – yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, you know, so bad. If Joe Burrow in 2019, if he was wearing a crimson jersey instead of uh, purple and gold, it pro- his, his narrative may be a little different. That's all it is. It's just Bama fatigue. Is really is what it is. Yeah, LSU was the hot yeah. time, and Burrow. It was. It was. It was two all season long. Tank for two. A tank for two. That was a big thing around the NFL. And then you know, all of a sudden he gets Burrow beats him, and then the next week Tua gets hurt, and all of a sudden. You know, to his mid-first round material, blah, 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 and Burroughs, the, the greatest thing since sliced bread and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think it's just a lot of Bama fatigue. And honestly, I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't understand why people go on Twitter and waste their breath and waste their time to argue with these dumbasses that, that are trying. And, and neither one knows anything. I mean, nobody knows Mac Jones on Twitter. Like, you don't know anything about Matt Jones. You don't know how Matt Jones is going to be in the NFL. The guy you're arguing with has no idea how Matt Jones is going to play in the NFL. You can guess because you got a 50-50 chance. He's either going to be good and serviceable or he's going to be bad. And, you know, so it's just it's just so freaking stupid when nobody knows. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, with both of you guys, that it's it's kind of – it's not fair to do it to Mac just because Joe Burrow can, is a little bit faster and ran a little bit more times than Mac. There was times when Matt Jones could have ran the ball. I mean, there, there was plenty of times, you know, I think it was against Kentucky when he, when he was sliding to his left until he was almost out of bounds and then just threw a freaking C to Devonta on the money in tight coverage. He could have run that. He might could have run that ball for a touchdown, but he didn't want to. It's just not how he plays the game. And it's just it's just different, and uh, and I think it is more of an NFL approach. Uh, I think he'll run when he has to, and I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. But uh, draft, I guess, is today. If you're listening to this on Thursday, um, and so you know, good luck to all the Alabama players um, that you know that are that are in the green room or at home, whatever. You know, we uh, we appreciate what you did at the university, and and <clears throat> we're definitely going to miss you guys because. You know, one of I, I I believe it's the greatest team, the greatest college football team that to ever set foot on the field, especially offense, offensively. But um, Lester Braves are kicking ass tonight. They kicked ass last night. The Cubs don't want anymore. Talk to me real quick about about the Braves the last couple of weeks and how they've been playing. First place in the division. Um, You're welcome. Last week or You're welcome the last. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last week or the last 10 days, you would have thought that they were just lining people outside of Truist Park and had people's necks in the guillotine. I'm pretty sure that's what half was Twitter wanted. And maybe that's maybe something that I wanted for a brief period of time. But yeah, 
this team, they're finally playing, with it, uh, playing up their potential a little bit. Freddie's getting hot. Um, Austin Riley getting hot. Dansby's getting hot. Azuna's finally heating up. Ozzy. I mean, I'm saying all of these names of guys getting hot because they were so bad to start the season. Acuna was the only one hitting, and he was tearing the cover out of the ball. I guess he's in a little cold stretch right now. But, well, not after that 480-foot homer last night, but they're getting there. This team, you know, they're finally hitting, finally hitting, finally hitting. Everybody's still waiting on that to happen. But the bullpen, I'm just not ready to crown them, you know, champs or nothing yet because that bullpen has a lot of work to get done. And that bothers me a little bit. The rotation is going to come around, but that bullpen, eh, we'll have to see about it. Yeah, um, as, as far as the Red Sox go, um, yeah, Atlanta can be thankful for that first place. Because, yeah, Atlanta, Atlanta's been winning, but also the Mets have dropped two in a row to the Red Sox. Boston went up to, to New York and, and took um, both games and two games set against, against the Mets. And they'll move on to Texas out there with 100% capacity. So look for Red Sox Nation to really fill up that stadium. But, um, uh, you know, the, the Braves have been just knocking the cover off the ball recently, right? I mean, you scored 10 runs tonight where they scored eight last night. Um, <clears throat> and then th- this is why baseball is so crazy. Boston goes up to New York. My dad actually texted me this while we were doing the show about 30 minutes ago. And he said that Boston scores three runs in two games and gets two wins. I think they had like 15 strikeouts as a team tonight. And you know, got a double in the second inning of the game to drive in, and then a and then a or back to back doubles to drive in a run in the second inning of the game against Jacob Degrom, and ended up winning the game one to nothing. Uh, Nick Pavetta was really good. Garrett Richards was really good last night. Um, but you know, Boston has already early this season they beaten Tyler Glasnow from the Rays. They beaten Jose Barrios from Minnesota. They've beaten Lucas Giolito from the White Sox, and now they've beaten Jacob DeGrom. And so it's a pretty damn impressive resume uh, for the Red Sox. And even though they're not being flashy with it, they're not putting up, you know, seven, eight runs a game. Their offense is actually kind of, kind of, you know, <clears throat> kind of slowed down a little bit. But starting pitching has been very good. Uh, Eddie Rodriguez is 4-0. Um, Uvalde struggled a little bit last start, but ended up, getting a win, I believe, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, Pavetta beating DeGrom, one another night, he had six strong, and then Richards was seven strong last night, um, uh, finding his, or cha- tweaking his uh, his windup a little bit, and finding a better arm slot, and, and a, a better delivery, and, and it's out of his windup and stretch, so, you know, if Boston can, can solidify a solid four or five-man rotation until Chris Sale gets back in late July, probably, um, they definitely got the offense to to keep them in, in first place right now. I believe they're three games up on the Rays. Um, sorry, J Law and, and Matthew, but uh, but yeah. So um, they're looking to stay there. Landon, I know you're not a huge baseball guy, but you are playing fantasy baseball with us this year. You had to take over one of the uh, the weaker teams, I guess. You had a high draft pick, but I mean, you're doing pretty good. You're not necessarily undefeated but you're you're putting up points with the best of them um through this is our fourth week playing 
Um, so you're not doing too too bad. Tell me how your fantasy team's doing, and I guess you're a Braves fan, right? So tell me what you think of the Braves season so far. Yeah, definitely. You know, like Lester said, the Braves, you know, always lead you with like a uh, start out. You want to jump off the ledge and say, F it, the season's over and whatnot. But then they just kind of reel you back in. And you're like, all right, here we go. You know, kind of like tonight, you know, 10-0 win over the Cubs. Uh, I think we're still hitting home runs over Kyle Hendricks, uh, which is awesome. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the I've been living on the waiver wire in the fantasy league. I've been uh, just living and dropping players, just – Whatever, been listening to a couple of fantasy baseball podcasts, helping me add some good young guys like Trevor Rogers with the with the Marlins. I mean, you know, just doing what doing what I can to just at least keep it competitive. I'm not going to win every game, I know, but I'm going to take the moral victory route here, and I'm going to keep it competitive with you. I can assure you. Are you winning this week? No, not at all. Oh. No, I'm, you're 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 be, you're beating me. Are you playing me? I am playing you. You just hate to see that. Yeah, you just hate it, don't you? You, see it. you just don't want to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Landon, we appreciate you being on here, man. You always give great info um, in all sports, whether it's football, basketball, um, the you know the draft. Uh, you know, you're giving us some good insight. When Every time you're a guest, and we look forward to having you on again here soon. Lester, always a pleasure, my man. Episode 34, Gunpunters Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Landon Beeman. We're out of here. See y'all.